Yes, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Number But the Brave podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great friend Flynn McLean. So, Flynn, you keep saying this could be his mortality record, and <laughs> I think we actually have it for sure. I think you're right. Uh, Letter to you certainly addresses the, the the themes of loss and and death, and it's but it's a very does it in a very in a way that makes it sound almost fun. <laughs> rousing, rousing is the way I put it. Rousing and inspiring. I mean, I think it's a it's a really inspiring yeah. record. Tremendous piece of work. But before we get into that, let's set the table. This episode is just going to be dedicated to letter to you the record. We think that going through the tracks in order and looking at them specifically without regards to the movie or anything like that is the way to do it. We're going to do a second episode where we will take a look at everything that's happened this week. The movie has come out. Bruce has done a lot of radio shows for Apple Music. He was on Colbert. So we're going to get to all that in the next episode. But tonight we want to dedicate ourselves to Letter to You, the record. And I think it's deserving of our full attention. Oh, totally agree. I think these songs need to be looked at and thoroughly examined. And certainly the the whole album as a work deserves some some recognition obviously on its own without without anything else entering into the picture uh yeah it's it's one of those things you wonder how bruce is still doing it (laughs) i actually texted some of the reviews to one of my friends uh, about the record being an instant classic and she wrote back and she was like can you imagine being his age and being able (laughs) to come up with an instant classic And, and and it really is amazing and as we get into the record here this is one of his best Full pieces of work in, in a very long time. I, I, I'm not ready yet to put a label on it, although I did, even in my own mind, start to go back to tunnel to this much of a fully realized, cohesive record, as I think The Rising is a masterpiece. We talked about Magic in the last episode. It's a stunning record. But there's something about this. I, I was thinking about it. If this record had been the follow-up to Born in the USA, it would have been so monstrous in terms of how big of a hit it would it would have been it really is amazing well it's interesting you you mentioned born in the usa there because the sound i think is probably closest to that album than really almost every album then well not almost then every album since it has such a big sound with the i mean the drums i I, it just sounds like they're in an arena basically with with that big drum sound and and the piano is just so you know, so big as well. I, I can't think of another word for it, but it's the piano is just so big, and it's a major part of this album. It feels like they're playing in a stadium in a way. It feels it, they really did capture the Springsteen live sound here, and uh, just props to Ryan Aniello. What a great job he has done. I mean, we've given him a lot of credit before, of course, because Western Stars and Wrecking Ball. But here, I think he's really outdone himself. The band has never sounded better in terms of how they're recorded than they do on this record. I agree. But there is one big difference between this album and Born in the USA, and that's there's very little synthesizer on this album. It's This is a rock record. There's there's piano, there's organ, but none of the synthesizers that, that he's been relying on so heavily basically since Tunnel of Love. Well, I think the thing about Born in the USA, as huge an album as it is, it is very much of its time. 
that mid eighties period, which you and I love so much, not only for, from a Bruce perspective, but just from a popular music perspective. And really what he's done here is, and it was obviously his mission. He's really updated the E street sound in, in a very contemporary way. And it sort of brings like the classic elements of E street sound, but it just got something a little new about it, even on the tracks that are 50 years old, which is uh, really something. Well, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of little notes and riffs here and there on this album that of oh, the way he sings certain lyrics, I'm going, yeah, I, you know, I remember hearing that sounds a lot like something he did on say lucky town or brothers under the bridges or, or any, any, or I'll work for your love, but he still takes all these very familiar elements. And then he puts them all together and you get something new, which is not, obviously not the first time he's done it. That was one of the, the reasons uh, Born to Run was so was so well received by critics because he took all the the classic rock elements and made it into something new, and now he's he's done it again. If you think that this is an album that's a culmination of his career, and clearly I think that's on his mind as we're going to get into each individual track. Really, what he has done here is he, he's he's taken everything he's done before. You're right. There's a little devils and dust in here. There's definitely some sounds from the 92 record. I mean, to me, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but like burn and train, when I first heard it, I was like, you know, this sounds a little like trouble river to me. And, and there, there, there's elements of his past here and the use of the songs, as I said, from 50 years ago, and it's all brought together to make this statement about where he is right now. And that also, of course, follows Broadway and Western stars. It does cap his career. Now, I hope and I think this won't be his last record. But if it was, I mean, this would stand as as a, a as a real testament and a real cap to what he has done. I can see that. And but one thing that, that stands out to me about this record is that it's, it's continuing the reflective nature of both the book and Broadway, which, I mean, in some ways are basically the same project, but we're going to call them different ones here. And But he's taken that reflectiveness. And I guess Western Stars is also quite reflective, even if he's writing as, as, as another person. But here he's taken that reflectiveness and he's made it first person again for him. And he's brought in the E Street Band, so it it gives it almost like this is like the culmination of of this of this era. Maybe not of the of his whole career. May, hopefully not for the E Street Band, but definitely of the last like five or six years. Oh, I think you're right. And summational is a good word. I think it's not only summational to this period of Broadway, but as I said, I think it is somewhat summational not only for his career but for his life, as we're about to get into as we start with the tracks here. You know, the first track is one minute you're here and. <laughs> The next minute you're gone. <laughs> There's no, you don't have to parse that. That's really out there being very clear as to what he's talking about. <laughs> yes. And I, I think just looking at the track listing when it was announced, we kind of we kind of guessed what one minute you're here would be about. And, and then we can already see it bookending with I'll see you in my dreams. And yes, the, and then they really are a perf- perfect bookending. And I guess we'll talk more about the summational part of the album with I'll See You in My Dreams later when we get to that track. But One Minute You're Here does a great job of, of setting up the album. You got the themes of loss, uh, depression. I mean, the way I look at it, this song is the depression uh, stage of, of the grieving process. It's interesting because the first line is big black train coming down the track. <laughs> he gives it to you right there in the first words of the record and you're right it does do a great job of setting up what what comes next 
And as we get into Letter to You, I actually think it changed what Letter to You means to me a little bit coming out of what is said here in One Minute You're Here. Okay, that's interesting. I, I like the what I like about One Minute You're Here is the imagery is very, very familiar. Uh, as yeah. you said, the big black train, the the whistle, the, the carnival, the riverside, these are all very familiar images to, to people who, who know Bruce's music. So He's 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 bringing them, he's bringing it listeners in in a comfortable way to I don't know almost kind of kind of break break it to them that one minute you're here and the next minute you're not. Well, and I think it's very specific to him in a way it, it, because he's saying he he's talking of course generally as he often does as it relates to all of us, which is what he does so powerfully. But he's also it seems to be contemplating as you are like to say his own mortality. And in a way, it's a message to the audience to me because he's saying, look, I'm here now and I, and I may not be here one day and he won't be here one day. And this is what I have to say with that in mind. And, and that's why I do think that this record is very summational. I think the songs that follow are among his most personal songs that we've heard in quite some time. Whereas on Western stars, we talk so much about how he was portraying characters there in the song, Western stars and, and all those great tracks, moonlight motel here. I think almost every song really is from Bruce's own perspective. Do you agree? Well, that's a great way of putting it. I'm just not sure about who Bruce is talking to in this song. It, it, you're right. I mean, it could be fans, could be the, his fans. It could be family. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I'm sure I'm still not sure who is, who is going, whether it's Bruce or whether it's, whether he's the one who's going and he's talking to the person who's left behind or if he's, or if he's talking to somebody else. Now, it's very contemplative in the way it is. It starts off musically. And, and to me, it had a little I, I thought maybe a little vibe of the hitter the way it starts. D did you get that at all? Well, I, what I got was Brothers Under the Bridges from 95 and uh, and Highway 29. Oh, yeah. That's, Highway 29 is a good one. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hearing here. And what's what I find interesting is that, as I said, I said earlier that there's not a lot of synthesizer on this album. There is what there does seem to be one here, and so that makes it a little bit different sound wise from the rest of the tracks. I know, and I know we said we're going to leave everything from this week until the next episode in terms of the big promo run, but in the interview with Zane Lowe, he did mention that this track he sort of felt it as like a sort of soft continuation from Western stars, the way the, the instrumentation was done. And that was intentional. And, and when you think of it, I, it is a perfect track to follow Moonlight Motel. Oh, I, I agree 100%. I was actually had that thought earlier today that this song easily could have been on on Western Stars. And so it's it's I, lo I love to hear the fact that he likes to he wanted to basically have the perfect segue from Moonlight Motel to One Minute You're Here. It, when an artist does that, when they when they connect their own works, even though they're, they're so different, I like to see that it gives me there's continuity in their work. And of course, that's, you know, what our show is dedicated to from the beginning is to try and connect these dots of all the things that he's been doing throughout his career. And now he, he really is doing it even himself, as you just said. And I, I think as we move from one minute you're here into letter to you, he's continuing with that. And letter to you, which he has said is a letter to you, the listener, 
to me, it takes on a slightly different context than I thought when we first talked about it coming after One Minute You're Here. If you do think that One Minute You're Here is from Bruce's own perspective, letter to you is to me is basically saying, you know, I one minute I'm here, I could be gone the next minute, and I've got something I want to say, and here it is. I'm giving it to you in this set of songs, and this is what people really should contemplate. And to me, it takes on an added significance. Like, I, I thought it was a good song when we first heard it, but it takes on an added significance because if it's sung by someone contemplating their own mortality, I think it makes it a little bit more powerful. Okay, and I... Th- and I agree with you. I think he he is talking about how he's what he's written to fans, to the thousands and millions of people who have listened listened to him over the years. And what I what I connect this song to is 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 the vow that he made to himself to 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 learn his story and to tell tell the story before and to relay the story to future generations. That's what he basically was calling his, his long and noisy prayer from, uh, from Broadway. No. Yeah. No. And it's right there in the lyrics, things I found out through hard times and good. I wrote them all out in ink and blood dug deep in my soul and signed my name true. And I sent it in a letter to you. That's it's very literal. He, I, I think in, in a way he, he rarely is that literal in the songs. Right. Yeah. He, he normally is, is a shower and not, not a teller. And and I guess Broadway and, and the book was he was showing the story that he wanted to tell and and tell to others so others could tell could tell their children. But this in this song he's saying I have told my story I'm telling my story here it is or he, here I, it's been for the last fifty years. <laughs> and I think that that's one of the reasons why this record is so affecting emotionally. I I know a lot of people said that they were really hit hard the first time they heard it. I certainly was. And it connects on a level, I think, because, and he always says, I'm having a conversation with my fans. It's been going on for 45 years. And he's really taken it to a very serious level here, as great as these songs are and as filled with joy as they are. But he really does connect, I think, with the entire fan base on a very emotional level on this record. Right, and the fact that it, it sounds like such a classic E Street song, the fans will have no problem connecting to it. Let's move on to Burn and Train. This one caught me a little off guard when I was listening to the record the first time because the first two tracks, as we just discussed, Letter to You is is definitely a prime example of the E Street sound, and, and One Minute You're Here sounds so much like a lot of the solo work he's done. This, to me was a little bit different burning train and it's and it's a fiery song in a little bit if i if i hear any echo of his past i thought it was actually the 92 material as i said a little bit earlier did you get like a trouble river vibe off this at all you know i was thinking 30 days out so oh yeah well they're, so they're, yeah well they're right i mean you know we're right in the same ballpark there exactly well i mean heck we're over. they're both b-sides or, or yeah or essentially b-sides from that era and that's that's definitely what I hear, but I also don't think it's a it's a stretch. I mean, he's trying to make the band sound like a train, and he yeah. he did it on uh, obviously on Land of Hope and Dreams with the first arrangement he came up with, the pre Wrecking Ball arrangement, and this one is a lot. This train is going a lot faster than that one, and so it's yeah, it's burning up the track, so to speak. Uh- I, before we get into the song, I do have to ask a question. We're not going to have the answer to this, but it just <laughs> seems like such a coincidence. Track three on Western Stars, Tucson Train. 
track three oh. on letter to you, burn and train. It, that can't be a coincidence, right? Well, uh, that is interesting to note that where is what track is leaving train on track tracks disc four. <laughs> oh, I, you think I know that off the top of my head? <laughs> well, I think it's the first track, actually. So uh, I think I, that's, that's the first track. Well, I don't know, but I that did I, I don't know if there's any meaning in there at all, but I did pick up on that. That is that is interesting to know. And they're both relationship songs. Yes, but I, and I'm having trouble figuring out what kind of relationship he's talking about. Well, in, it's, 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 in my notes, it's funny because I wrote that this song is in the past tense. He says, I wanted you to heal me, but you instead you set me on fire. And it does seem like he is also reflecting back, which again is like Tucson Train, although the songs are very different. Uh, but it, it does seem like here, too, he's been involved with a woman and perhaps it didn't work out fully. Maybe she wasn't good for him. I mean, what? Uh, obviously, if she set him on fire, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a, I mean, I guess if, he, if, if maybe if that's a, a, a sexual reference, but I don't think it is because he says, I wanted you to heal me, but instead you set me on fire. So it seems like he was trying to get salvation from this woman and right. instead he, she caused them to burn. Well, what I kind of heard the that whole we all we, we all hold the keys to our salvation and our destruction uh, within ourselves. And that's and that's what I'm hearing here that. He wants her to to help save him to be his salvation, but instead their their love just burned up and yeah. thus thus destroyed. Yes, and that's I I think I take away the same thing. Uh, he especially at the end when he says, "Darling, I'm blessed in your blood and marked by Cain. Take me on your burning train." That it does not sound like that ended successfully. No, it did not. That and that line really uh, that's an interesting line marked by Cain. Yeah. Because I would really want to know I mean, just how violent he's talking here, because that's yeah, because Adam it, it, raised the cane. Ad, Cain killed Abel. Most of the songs are really talking about a pretty dark topic. Obviously, death is not a happy subject. <laughs> and well, there's nothing darker than death. <laughs> that's for sure. Yes. Death is something that comes to everyone. And he's talked about this before, of course. Everything dies, baby. That's a fact. And it applies here to everyone and everything. But you, as you, as as we move forward here, this seems like the darkest song on the record, and it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that it's then followed by Janie, which, while I don't think Janie Janie needs a shooter as dark as it pertains to the protagonist singing to the woman, she's got some darkness with all these men around her. Yeah, she does. Yeah, Janie needs a shooter. I mean, she's got a doctor, she's got a priest, she even has a cop. You know, you know, it's almost like a the start of a start of a joke, but none of those guys can give her what she wants. I mean, and it sounds like she, her style is a lot darker than what those, what those you know, light men would, would seem to seem to, to know how to give. Well, it, the song just, especially in its current incarnation does seem like a declaration that he has the salvation to the woman's problems, which is sort of like the inverse to what we just talked about at burning train, because in that song, as I pointed out, he says, I wanted you to heal me, but instead you set me on fire. So here he is the person who's going to heal this woman who's got all these men around her who, who are doing her wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and burning and burning train. She was not his salvation, but in this, and but Janie, he wants to be her salvation. Yes. But I don't, not really sure we get her point of view on this. So I'm not really sure how, how successful he is at that. 
That is true. And, and and this is, and we should obviously talk about the fact that the song was written 50 <laughs> years ago. It has a long history. The first time I heard the, the, the album, when I got to Janie Needs a Shooter, I mean, literally my hair stood on edge. I mean, I it was like, talk about setting someone on fire. It was like, this song set me on fire. And the band sounds so damn good here. And the version, the rehearsal tape version, when is that from? That's from the late 70s, right? Yeah, I think it's from 1979. You know, and you wouldn't think that the band would necessarily approach the level of power that they had in the late 70s. But I, I do think that they they hit that here. It, it's tremendously powerful. Now, it's tweaked a little bit. I don't, And I don't know. He did change the lyrics from Janie Needs a Shooter, Jack, which I always thought was very powerful, to Janie Needs a Shooter, Now. Uh, it would be interesting to know what what caused that. I don't think is Jack in some way. Could that be considered you know uh, uh, offensive at this point? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think so either. I think he just wanted to instead of making a declaration to somebody, maybe Jack is the one who is a you know the fourth in line after after the cop, and he just he's saying that I should be I'm declaring my love for her now, not you. So that's a change and. I, I do think that the guitar solo, I was, I, I, well, and we know generally he does not do very extended guitar solos on record. And in fact, here, I think the guitar solo is probably played by Steve and Bruce is on harmonica. It's not fully clear, but it did sound to me like it might be Steve. What did you think? Yes, I thought it was Steve as well. And I want to go back to what you were saying about the rehearsal take from, from 79. And yeah. it's almost an unfair comparison to see how this one stacks up to that one because the sound quality on that one is basically was recorded on a boom box in someone's yeah. living room. So to me, it's a little unfair to, to fully, to fully say how, this one doesn't have the power of that one, that that one did. Oh, I, and I, as I said, my hair stood up on edge. I think this one is <laughs> tremendously powerful. You know, the thought that the E street band that at this point in their careers are, are playing with this level of power. It, it I've listened to that track a hundred times, I would say, so far. It's like, it's on current, it's just like repeat. And I love the rest of the record. I mean, especially to me, the first three songs are really good. And I know everyone's saying, Burning Train, can't wait till we see that live. Needless to say, if when they can play shows, if he plays Janie Needs a Shooter live, that's going to be really something. But uh, for me also, it's this middle of the record that it really starts to take off into incredibly high levels. Yes, I, I agree that we're approaching, this is, Janie is basically the end of the first part of the record. Yes. And I'm, I'm not sure it's definitely not a summational thing at all, but it definitely, there's definitely a, an end to this part. Well, I think that he just probably felt like the song fit there. And, and it does. <laughs> and it does. And as we suspected when we, when we, we talked about it a few weeks ago when the single first came out. This is a very narratively tight album. Uh, this is certainly no high hopes. We're pulling in a hodgepodge of songs from all over the place, some of which are good. Maybe one or two of them are great. There's a few are not good. Uh, you know, this is an incredibly well thought out sequencing here. And I think he knew exactly what he wanted to do by placing Janie there. And, and, it, and it works for me. Okay, well, it works for me as well, but what I want to ask you is, why mm -hmm. do you think he brought in these three 50-year-old songs? 
we'll get to the other two later because I actually have a theory about that now. I, that I, I figured you did. <laughs> uh, but this one, I'm not sure. I, I think did he did he did he pull this one in? He has said that he was listening to the outtakes, which, as we know and are excited about, <laughs> is uh, likely for tracks two. And was did he just say, "Wow, this is a really good one. We'll, we'll kill on this now." And you see, the one thing that's mysterious about this group of songs, we know that he said at the Netflix event that he had just written a group of songs. He didn't specify how many. Now, in the a lot of the talk about the record, it's a bit hard to piece together because they keep saying we did two songs a day and we recorded four days. Well, there's 12 songs here and two songs a day and we recorded four days would be eight songs. So, you know, is there some myth making here that not every one of these songs was recorded during the four or five days they were together? We just don't know. And with that in mind, it, it's hard to tell that Janie is not in the film. So that does point. Why did they just leave it out of the film because they didn't want to put it in for time or for some other artistic reasons? Or was it not recorded during these sessions? And I, I don't know. I, we can only speculate. <laughs> Well, let me throw in my two cents of speculation here. They never had a, a studio take of this one. They never had one that could be used for an official release. And so when he was, you know, again, all theory, trying to come up with uh, seeing what he, what he could do for tracks two, he probably, he, he, maybe he had a, a list of songs that he wanted to do with the E Street Band in modern times. And so that one, this one probably went to pretty high on the list pretty, pretty quickly. And just because it, they never had a, a full take of it, and the E Street Band did a hell of a job doing it now. Yeah, fabulous. And, I mean, as I say, I hope it's played live. And, and it does sort of end that first sequence of the record. And, and we move into the next part, which starts off with Last Man Standing. And I, I, this is, I think, it must be the most autobiographical song of his career, right? Uh, I... It's certainly up there if it's not, uh, if not number one. I, I mean, guess he, this one and the wish might be <laughs> pretty much at the top. He literally is the last man standing. He's talking about the Castiles, and he was he was moved by George Thies, who died in 2019, and it, it just this is an incredibly powerful song, and 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 the references back to the Castiles, you know, in the lyrics with the snakeskin vest and the sharkskin suit. <laughs> And, and 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 the boots it, it it's very affecting but this is one of the better pop songs i think you know when we talk about born in the usa to me there's a run of songs here on this record and in fact there's uh three in a row that mm -hmm. uh, starting with last man standing powerful prayer house of a thousand guitars these songs would have been top 10 hits if and released in a time where the world was more accepting of this kind of music for sure okay I mean, well, you don't I think it, you don't think if uh, if Power Prayer, which we'll get to in a minute, was was released in 1985 as a single up board <laughs> in the USA would have been top five, 100 percent. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> my theory on that is any song off born in the USA in 1985 would have gone top. Well, that's five. probably true. But these are the I, these are these are some of the best rock songs he's written, obviously, in a very long time. I don't know that he's done as true a rock record as this. But uh, what what's well, your has, take on Last Man Standing? Uh, you're right. It's I mean it's a story of of the Castiles. It's about 
Well, I was talking to my friend Lowell, or our friend Lowell, and he said this 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 song is about his first show, about about playing with the Castiles, uh, the first time that they really got on that stage, and they were, and I guess the song is basically sung sung to to George Steves, and this is where this is what they were doing, and the Rock of Ages, you know, lift him up somehow, and. That's what got him through. Those were the lines I was going to focus on, too. <laughs> and, you know, and and what is also embedded in many of these songs, the power of music. Mm-hmm. Now, he couldn't have known, obviously, because we know these songs were written last year. They were recorded in November. But the situation they're released into and the world we're in, it, 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 he just somehow, as usual, captures the time and and these songs to me they're saying music is healing and it can lift you up and that's exactly what he's saying in this song and and within that you know let us all heal together and and i think that that is a something that it plays out throughout the entire record right uh, he's always we've always kind of joked about maybe not even joked about the church of bruce that he is our religion maybe not in a literal sense, but certainly we get the spirituality from his concerts that, that some people get from attending church services. And in this song, he makes that as explicit as, as he's ever made it sound. He, this, is, this is music as a church, music as salvation, and a music yes. as a community builder and a community connector. Completely. And it's the it's the start of as you said this, these three songs. That's really the that's the heart of this record, and that's where that that theme just come comes out. And and one thing about Last Man Standing is that he really, since he is the last man standing, literally as you said, he knows he needs to continue on on the tradition of yes. of rocking it loud because that's what those guys that's what those guys did and. and when they were 16, 17 years old, and he's going to keep doing it at, at 71. And that's, again, you know, reflecting on his mortality. I'm going to continue doing this until I, I can't, and right, and I'm the last man standing. And, I, and I, as you said, I carry on the mantle of all who came before me. And, and it's incredibly powerful stuff, and, and the song yeah. is great. I mean, yeah. it is a great song. As we said, it starts a run of songs that is really magnificent. Yeah, well, another line I want to point out from from Last Man Standing is the one about you count the names of the missing as you count off time. And that was something Bruce kind of touched upon on the Wrecking Ball tour when he was doing the City of Ruins tribute to Clarence. And, you know, they're if they're here or if, or if you're here and if I'm here, they're here. And that's yeah. and that's that line is the embodiment of of that feeling. Yeah. And it, and it continues into the next track, which is the power of prayer. I, I, it's funny because of course, when I listen to a record for the first time, especially Springsteen at record, I listen to it straight through without stopping, tr- hopefully without interruption. But when I was listening <laughs> to the you. record, uh, when I was, when I was, when I was listening to the record and the power of prayer finished, I was like, I got to go back and listen to that again. I resisted <laughs> the temptation, but I was just like, wow, was, is that is a great song. I, it, it's one of my favorite songs that he's done. And it is so different because we talked about with Western stars, you know, Moonlight Motel is incredibly powerful, but it's powerful in a different way. Of yes. course, <laughs> this song is so uh, you just like it's you up, just want to. Yeah, it's so uplifting and and so 
the entire record is full of joy and life. And, and, and again, it is it's exactly, it's what I needed when I heard it for the first time. And I think it's what a lot of us need right now, because of course it's very horrible circumstances that uh, the country and the world are in. And to think that he, he's, he, he was sitting around and for all these years that uh, he, he was having problems coming up with material for the E Street Band. And then these songs came out of him. And he did, we should mention, I think he has stated that Last Man Standing was the first song he wrote. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but here, he it just continues. I mean, what wh- wh- how did you feel the first time you heard The Power of Prayer? Well, the first time I heard it, I, I, I said, well, this is I'll Work for Your Love. Um, and I, and I, but it didn't bother me this time, like 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 Western stars and chasing wild horses and your own worst enemy. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like I work for your love, but it's 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 so uplifting and the energy, as you as you said, it's I mean it's just so infectious and you it just makes you thankful for life. And this is as I said about talking about the Last Man Standing. There's spirituality in his music, but it's not religion, and that's the that's the power of prayer for him is it is that it just makes us happy to be alive there ain't no sin to be to be glad you're yeah. alive again it points to the power of music because his song is a prayer and this song is a relationship song obviously in the first first running my fingers through your sun street tear baby that's the power of prayer but it contained in there a power of prayer it's also a power of i think living every day and and as we've talked about such a common theme with bruce getting through the day to the next day and 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 on western stars we know a lot of those characters were really trudging through the day and and hoping that they woke up with their boots on here i i the characters are i think as you're saying they're, they're the energy is totally different and they're really embracing life, I think, in a in a in a different manner than than we did just last year on that record. What's your take? Well, he's taking the small good moments of a relationship, and he's making that the high points. You know, just running his fingers through her hair, seeing her walk in the door after closing time when he's cleaning up the joint. You know, he this is he's this is his faith in relationships being rewarded. Oh, yes, I agree with you. And it's there in the final verse. They say that it, love, it comes and goes. But darling, what do they know? I'm reaching for heaven. We'll make it there. It's darling. It's just the power of prayer. I mean, it, it, he is he's embracing a light there. I mean, heaven obviously is the ultimate symbol, I think, of light, <laughs> and he's embracing the light within this relationship and and moments that have happened, and they're meaningful, and even if they don't last forever, they're still there with you, and it's it's exactly, I think, what you were talking about with the with, with the tribute to Clarence and to Danny during My City of Ruins. It's it's that same kind of thing. These powerful moments stay with you. That's it's it's there in Last Man Standing. It's here in the Power of Prayer. It's certainly in House of a Thousand Guitars. We always talk about the parking lot in Moonlight Motel and the guys looking back and maybe wasn't that happy with what he remembered here. I think it's different. I mean, these characters are are saying, you know, let's, let's take what has happened to us. Maybe some is good. Maybe some is bad, you know, love comes and it goes, but within that we've lived and hopefully we've had a good life. And, and that's what the power of prayer is to me, you know, that you're, you're just striving every day to, to have, you know, hopefully good things. (laughs) 
And I, I connected back to Girls in the Summer Clothes, the last verse of that song anyway. He may, he doesn't have much faith, but he's got, uh, he's got his feet. So he's, he still, he still has faith in relationships, even if something didn't go quite right one the time before. Right. And that's what I, that's what I, that's what I hear here too. Obviously we're all waiting for him to be able to play live again. And these songs just cry out for that. And to, and <laughs> to stand in the community of, of 20,000 people and these songs are going to be being sung by the crowd. It, it's, it's going to be when it happens, it's going to be truly amazing. And it'll be interesting to see how he fits these songs into the show and uh, oh, I guess having said that, now maybe we should say there's there's going to be a third part to our letter to you <laughs> series, and this should be a fun one. At least we're going to have fun with it. We're going to do a mythical "What if the letter to you tour was uh, start tour was starting, and what the first night set list would be," and we'll both give our thoughts on that. That's going to be in two episodes from now. Yeah, that's that's going to be a fun one because uh, I have some thoughts, and uh, I know you have some thoughts. So we'll put them all together and see what we can come up with, and. Bruce himself is actually seems to be talking about the next show himself in House of a Thousand Guitars. This seems to be about making it through some kind of <laughs> some kind of tragic, not tragic, but some sort of event, trying event and getting getting back to getting back to concerts and getting back to the spirituality of the musical. Yes, of course, he couldn't have known that when he wrote it, at least <laughs> as far as we know, we believe this was one of the songs recorded last November. The evidence certainly suggests that. So once again, he's a bit of a soothsayer. He's good like that. I wish he would have told us earlier, though, so we could have prepared and gotten all our toilet paper ready. So whatever. But, but of course, this does harken back to Radio Nowhere. I want a thousand guitars. And now <laughs> he's got a house with a thousand guitars. And for a house, for a song about a thousand guitars, there's certainly a lot of piano here. Yeah, that was surprising. I, you know, I really did think also this was going to be sort of uh, when I heard the title, uh, a guitar driven rave up or something. Yes. And, and yes. it is certainly not. But it is again, it, it's and it completes this trifecta of songs that starts with Last Man Standing. It's it. it this is a great, great song. I think the only bad thing I can say about it is that the piano opening kind of sounds like that uh, David Foster Chicago air supply thing going on from the from the early to mid 80s. Well, that, that didn't really bother me. Now, it's true that Power of Prayer and A Thousand Guitars have similar sounding piano intros, but I think it works. And as we know, the album is obviously sequenced very carefully. Right. And. It doesn't bother me either because I actually really liked <laughs> really liked that early to mid '80s uh, Chicago and Air Supply stuff, but uh, it does it does fit the song if only because it, it starts off in a very soothing way. It's, I mean, this is a very soothing song. It's saying we're going to get through some some rough times and then we're finally going to make it. To some kind of music venue, whether it's a stadium yes. or, or a small town bar. Again, music is a salvation. I mean, yes. that is that is here. And even in the lines, and, and this is the one song that does have a direct reference to Trump, uh, the criminal clown has stolen the throne. He steals what he can never own. May the truth ring out from every small town bar will light up the house of a thousand guitars. <laughs> and what he's basically saying is whatever's going on in this country and whatever it, it's whatever pain and whatever bad stuff at the end of the day, let's all go to our local bars and, and, and music will ring out. And, and again, as we were saying, it'll be our salvation. And, and, 
you know, how, who's going to what Springsteen fan is is not going to agree with that sentiment? I mean, in a way, it's both obvious, but it's pa- presented so powerfully that it uplifts you. All right. Well, first off, I want to just want to say the three chords and the truth <laughs> is is what I was what comes to my mind about that about that 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 verse. But but yeah, we've talked about I think I even mentioned it tonight about salvation and music and how everything when you go to a concert, the lights go down and it's just you. I feel like it's just you and the band, or you and you and the band and the person and the person next to you, and everything else just kind of slips away for a while and. That's a that's the kind of that's the kind of night we need at this point in in the world. We need to you know put away, keep some of the bad news, some of the bad news out for a while, and let's just focus on on a loud guitar and, and a beautiful piano solo and 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 a concert, just a concert to get us going. Oh yeah, and it is true. What we all dream of doing together again is contained in the song. All the souls from near and far will meet at a house of a thousand guitars. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> I mean, how many times a day? I, you must do it. I do it. Uh, I, we're, anyone who's listening to us, I'm sure, does it. We're all just sitting there going, when are we going to be able to gather again with our friends and with strangers and and partake in these activities? And that's why it's, it really is so incredible that he writes this song last year and, uh, you know, it comes out now in the circumstances we're in. I, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> He's that good. He'll, t- he'll tell you that himself. <laughs> um, and I also, what I also really feel in the song is just, is the brotherhood. Yeah. And this well, and the sisterhood of, of the bond and of the, com- of the community brought together by this music. I know I mentioned that earlier tonight, but th- it's pretty explicit in here, if only because of, because of the brother and sister, wherever you are, will rise together till we fire the spark. That's uh, that's what we all want to do, as you said. I love the entire record, and and the songs are incredibly meaningful to me. And to me, not that anything that follows is not great, because I really, uh, and we're going to talk about these songs, but to me, the album... The, the centerpiece, these three songs, Last Man Standing, Power of Prayer, and House of a Thousand Guitars, I, like I could just listen to those three songs in sequence over and over again. And there's something about it. It just, it it, it makes me feel good. And and it, obviously that's, that is the power of music. <laughs> that's why we're meeting at the House of a Thousand Guitars. I think that he, he set out to, obviously, we know he set out to make this kind of record, and to to see it this fully realized, uh, you know, it, it does. It blows me away that he's he's still capable of doing this. It, it it it's it's a blessing for the fans, and I'm sure he's enjoying it too. Yeah, and and the band. I mean, it's a pleasure for him to. I mean, he called this recording process one of the most pleasant one pleasant one he's ever had, and I can see that you get your friends together from the last fifty years, and you, and you make music, which is what you do. That's not just what their job is, it's what, it's what they are. And yeah. it must be a pretty powerful feeling. Well, and I think that reinforced on the next track with Rainmaker, because part of what, he's, what his job is to comment on current matters and, 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 and to help the country reflect. You know, that sounds a little grandiose. We know that he actually <laughs> thinks that his job is, is sort of to document the American experience. We, we, we talked about this in the Magic episode as well. And coming after A House of Thousand Guitars, where we get to Rainmaker, 
that is reinforcing, I think, the message from House of a Thousand Guitars, you know, because he sort of in the House of a Thousand Guitars, he tells you what the power of rock and roll can do. And then he's sort of demonstrating it directly with his song, which I think there's only one way to interpret it. Uh, so and it, and it is a powerful message. Well, now you're confusing me a bit because, I mean, Rainmaker is obviously about a false idol. Right. But but you're saying that. Well, I think that in a way he's because I actually uh, well, let's take a step back because I actually did wonder when I heard the record the first time, why is Rainmaker on the record and why is it placed here? And I don't know that I have the right answer, but I thought that in a way it was to me the what House of a Thousand Guitars is saying is that as musicians, we are bringing people together and we are commenting on things that are happening. And here in Rainmaker, he is commenting on stuff that's happening in the country right now. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but what was your take on why Rainmaker is on the record? First of all, we know this for sure is one of the songs that was not written in the April 2019 period. This song, he has said, was written during the Bush administration, and it does sound like something that could have been on Magic. And and in fact, well, I, that'll be another question I want to get your take on, but as to whether it's possible this track even maybe dates back to uh the original magic sessions but what 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 is your take on these issues <laughs> those are that's a lot of questions yeah, a now. lot to throw at you flynn let's go <laughs> well the first thing is is that it could be or at least parts of it could be from the from the magic or working on dream sessions at least from that time and because this one also has a bit of a synthesizer feel to it that yeah. is is lacking on on the rest of the album, so it's it's definitely has a different sound in that way. Um, as for placement, well, why do you think it's on the record? Period. It's not part of the batch of songs that he wrote last year. It's obviously not related to the material that came from him being in his mind the last man standing. So there's got to be another reason that it's here. That's a very good question. It's. This could be, even if it was written by Bush, this is what he's saying about about the current administration. Right. And I mean, that's it's certainly, I... I mean, let's be, you know, as you, as you were kind of alluding to, I mean, this is, this is it. This is, this is our current situation. He's cutting through the myth building that, that the Rainmaker has created for himself. And you got to cut through some of that BS to, to get to the truth. This is another really good song. I mean, it's been, it, it. I have to think in my head now, Western Stars, we thought was a great album, really cohesive, but I didn't love every track as we talked about at the time. Some of them I, I truly love, <laughs> but here, I, there's not a song on this record. I mean, you there's know. There's no filler. There's no filler. Yeah, when we, when you think about, and we're going to discuss this when we do the set list show, when you think about the construction of a show and, and in recent years, he has not, necessarily relied on his newest material or whatever you there's not a song on this record that you can say okay that one's not going to be played in fact it wouldn't shock me when he tours if he did all 12 songs every night i oh, mean that that would be awesome if he did that uh oh well i know it'll be interesting to see if he does stuff like if i was the priest and songs for orphans and uh and jd the 50 year old songs regularly but we'll get to that in in the later episode <laughs> all right well, this is I love the the bluesy sound of Rainmaker, even yeah. just outside of of the lyrical content. It has such that 
actually what I thought it sounded like that Idiot's Delight that he played back in, uh, was that April? Yeah. On on his show. I, that's the feeling I got. I also got a little bit of reason to believe from the from the magic tour and that's that's a great it's a great sound that he doesn't he doesn't go to very often but when he does it's it's quite effective it it does harken back to those sounds and again it, it just uh, it, it's a very powerful track and i and i think that even though we know it was written during the bush years he, he obviously felt it was relevant for now i mean if if he didn't say it was written during the bush years it, it, clearly everyone would have thought that it was written right now was about Trump. And in yes. fact, it applies much more. You can say whatever you want about, uh, about Bush. And obviously Bruce commented it on magic as we talked about in the last episode, but these traits are much more Trump in, in a way, like if he had released the song 10 years ago, it would have been like, how do the hell again, <laughs> how did he predict the, you know, the future like that? Yeah. That's it's, it. Well, as we've said before, I mean, I mean Bush was, normal compared to what we have now. I mean, it's right here. Rainmaker says white's black and black's white. This week, we had the president of the United States say that his opponent should be viewed with suspicion because he was going to follow the scientists. Yes, let's not follow the scientists. We we certainly wouldn't want to do that. Let, you know, so, you know, and, and then you have people going, Oh yeah, you can't trust those scientists. All right. Well, let me let me get my comment that comment in there about about that. Talk about the followers, because they don't care or understand what it really takes for the sky to open, and that's that's his following. Yeah. No. Well, look, he says it in the song. Sometimes folks need to believe in something so bad, so bad, so bad. They'll hire a rainmaker. And like we just said, if he if, it's if he had written those songs, uh, if he had written those words, excuse me, in in 2019 uh, relating to this period of time, everyone would have been like, that's dead on. And somehow <laughs> he came up with it, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And he rightfully believed that it applied today. And and maybe getting back to why follows House of a Thousand Guitars, maybe just he wanted to make a statement. It's funny because he did say in the in the lead up to the records release that if I did a Trump album, I think that would be terribly boring. So I wasn't going to do that. But maybe he did. It just comes down to he had this song. It fit the situation so perfectly. He knows it's a good track and 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 therefore it's here. There you go. I think, yeah, let's he can have one song. One song is not boring, not, but a, a whole album might have been because it would have been quite redundant. But uh, but yeah, this one song does work and it's it's a masterpiece. It really is. And, and it. And it's also one of the few rock songs to ever mention Yahweh, the ancient Israeli god. Well, remember, there is a U2 song actually named Yahweh. Okay, all right. Well, it's okay. Well, okay, but one of the only songs in the Bruce catalog, or the only yeah. song in the Bruce catalog to mention Yahweh. So, and, and, and the next up is If I Was a Priest, which this one hit me in a way that I did not expect. I, I To be totally honest, this is not a song that I, I, well, I haven't listened to it much over the years, and I never really thought that much of it. It's obviously incredibly wordy, and there, it doesn't really connect lyrically. None of the 72 songs connect lyrically uh, to the rest of the record because he's writing in such a different fashion these days. I, probably Janie is the one that does the most, but this one, I, what an unexpected powerhouse it was for me. The way they're playing, it, I, I was astonished. Yes, I, I agree 100 percent that the the pre the pre street stuff, as I as I like to call it, never really grabbed me. It's as you said, it's pretty wordy. 
Um, he's trying to, as you talked about in, in writing Blind and by the Light, he tried to try to put every every image he could think of into into one song, and that's certainly the case here. It's like he was taking every Sunday school lesson and and connecting it to the western western movie he saw he saw on TV that the the previous afternoon, and so it never I I liked it because it actually had a little bit more to it than I thought some of the other other stuff had, but yeah, that's not stuff I was pulling out to listen to when I was. <laughs> we're looking for something no and but it works really well here and it's probably no. because of the music yeah that, no it has a real i actually just a few months ago during the pandemic watched once we're brothers the documentary about robbie robertson and the band and that got me into listening to the band more and i've been listening to before the flood which is the live album with dylan and the band and the eastry band here sounds so much like that this sounds exactly like dylan playing with the band i don't think there's any doubt that that's intentional and in a way because it is 50 years old and because he was uh, originally tagged with he's the next Dylan, I, I think it's a very sly commentary on everything that has happened to him in his career. Don't you think that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, my wife keeps comparing it to, to the weight every time it comes on. Oh, yeah. Says, you know, this sounds like the weight. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it, it does. And then it, it has definitely has. I mean, the organs there. I love the organ on this song. And the guitar sound, I love the, I love Steve's. I, I assume it's Steve's yeah, solo think, at the end. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Steve at the end as well. And he really, he really makes it work. And it's just, um, I, I never expected, I never expected to love it as much as I, as I do. No, it, as I said, it completely blew me away because when he when it was first announced and we talked about it that these songs were on there i mean we suspected that they were going to be narratively tied to the record and we're going to talk about how this one and songs for orphans i maybe are tied to the record or <laughs> why they're on there because it is a bit of a mystery especially since he was so wordy at the time of course it's in the mode of like a blind by the light and 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 stuff like that it it, it just sort of breathtaking that it worked that well and and i and i guess he knew it and that, and that, that's in part why it's on there. And one thing about the music I, I, I left out before is that this is very similar to the Ballad of Jesse James, the, the Bruce Springsteen band song that was uh, released on the chapter in verse. It's almost like he took a 72 lyrics and a 72 song they were working on and put them together. And it came out, you know, and they played it together 50 years later. I don't know that anyone's ever done anything like this before. I mean, probably they have, but to take a 50 year old song and re-record it and to give it such a here I am now sort of feel to it, it just works really, really well. And and again, I, I was I was just shocked by how much <laughs> I felt when I was listening to the song uh, because it really did. It, it feels very meaningful. Well, it's it's the one I've I've been finding myself singing on more than one occasion. Well, I uh, I mean I need to go back and learn. I never knew the lyrics to uh, <laughs> to if, if I was the priest, but I do think it's worth pointing out, and I do think this is how we start to link it to why it's on the record. In the first verse, if I was the priest, the buckskin jacket makes a an appearance, and uh, of course, a buckskin jacket makes an appearance in the next song as well. And uh, to me, that's probably not a coincidence. What do you think? No, not a coincidence at all. And I just wonder if, you know, does does Bruce think George Steves walking down the hall is is the same as Jesus in the in the door of the saloon? That's always a, 
That's a very difficult question to ask. Well, that is a very interesting question. One I'm not sure we're going to contemplate right now, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> Good idea. Coming in between these two songs, Ghosts, to me, uh, the fact that it went from a priest into ghosts into songs for orphans, I did think that there was something meaningful there that sort of like those two songs from 72 were sort of like the ghosts walking into the room now. I don't know. I, am I crazy? And I, I hadn't thought of it, hadn't thought of it that way, as I said. And but it, it works. These are these are ghosts of songs that have been resurrected for the, for for the present. Right. And that's and, yeah. And they work. <laughs> that's that's the wild thing is that we agreed that both of these songs really work on this album. Ghosts, as we were saying, it, it is incredibly powerful E Street band track. And it's going to really fire me up when it's played live. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Yes, it's it's it begs to be played live, and I hope they get the opportunity to do so. And you know, not to get too far ahead of us, two you know two episodes ahead of us, but this would be this would make an ideal opener. Yeah, no, I think everyone knows that this song is likely <laughs> to open the show when when they if and when they hopefully can play again. Right. Well, and, I, I, well, I am nothing if not master of the obvious. <laughs> and just the nature of what he's saying in this song, I I, I love. The third verse, when the uh, Fender twin is found and it's still set on 10 to burn the house down. And he, and he gives you his, and Bruce's mission statement of life <laughs> is in this verse. By the end of the set, we leave no one alive. That's and, right. Take no prisoners. And it's right here in the song. It is the 50-year mission statement of the E Street Band. And, you know, uh, this is, it. it's a fun track. Yes, yes, it is. And it really... It captures every element of of the E Street Band, especially the end of it. Yes. Um, there's there's the um, it starts the drum beat at the end, so it's drum and the bass going. Then the guitar comes in, then the piano, the organ. You get finally finally you get the sax, and the vocals. It's the summary of the whole E Street sound within about what thirty seconds. And the refrain "I'm alive." I mean, which again he answers, is, his, yeah. he answers his own question, doesn't he? Is there anybody alive out there? Yeah, and 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 we we are alive, and everyone in the audience is alive, and uh, together we represent life. I think in a fashion that's what, when he says, "By the end of the set, we leave no one alive." Of course, he's not talking literally; he's not trying to kill all of us. <laughs> but uh, w what is the the combined energy of all of us together is that we're all sort of knocked out, knocked in, into another world, into another place. Maybe you came into the show and you had you didn't feel well or you know something was going on in your family and and what they're doing on that stage is to take us and take the audience and lift you up into another place and that's what ghost is about yeah and it really continues the theme of of music as community and music as as religion and to, and to honor those who have come before i make my vows to those who have come before and that's what that's what this album is also that's a major theme on this album. I can't wait to see it live. The energy of this track is off the charts. 70-year-old men playing rock music with this sort of energy and vitality. Really, God bless them. Yeah, really. And well, God bless them and God bless the fact that we get their gift. That we yeah, get their no, gift of music. It, it, I mean, as I, we... I, I said earlier, it's a huge blessing. And yes. it's been a blessing. I mean, we said the same thing about Western Stars. And this is, as we're saying, a very different type of record. But has anyone 
ever any musician, I should say, at, at Bruce's age, put out two records like this in a, in such a short span. Uh, he's seventy. He's going to be seventy-one years old this year. It's it it really or is he? Wait, this year he he's just gonna turns. Be, he, he just turned seventy-one, right? Yeah. So he's going to be seventy-two next year. It 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 really it, it's just crazy and and the vitality of it all. It, it it just you know magnificent is the right word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wish I could have that kind of vitality at, at my age, and I'm you know twenty years or so younger than Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well. He's trying to help lift you up here, Flynn. Oh, I, I, I need some help some days, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Songs for Orphans. I think probably really the first time I paid that much concentration to it, you and I were sitting next to one another in Trenton <laughs> on November 21st, 2005, when out of nowhere he performed it. And again, this is one of those songs that seems to have been on his mind from time to time. Well, it's that E Street Radio thing. Yeah, and... <laughs> It's another one of these wordy, I mean, the words in this song, it'd be, well, thankfully he has a teleprompter, so. Yeah, it'd be a little difficult for, even, I, I know I couldn't do it now, so. No. I don't know if I ever could do it, but uh, yeah, it's it's wordy, but, and it's, but this also addresses the themes of loss that are, that are so yes. prevalent on the album as well. It's not yeah. like this is totally thematically off from the rest of the songs. No, I think this one does thematically fit in. I think the distinction is that stylistically, in, in the lyrics, high society vamps, ex-heavyweight champs, this is not how Bruce Springsteen writes in 2020. No, no, he doesn't. But he he makes it work with the music and with the, 29, with the 2020 version or 2019 version of the E Street Band doing that same kind of, this is basically the same style as... Yes as if I were the priest. So it really works. It's, it's Bruce channeling the old Dylan. Yeah. From, I, I from can't say, I can't say I, I was struck by this one as much as I was, if I was the priest, this one, the words, and this was the same way I felt in 2005, although it was pretty amazing that suddenly we were sitting there and this long lost song was being played, but it certainly, I think you alluded to this earlier, the, the pre-greeting stuff has never been a personal favorite of mine. And this one, you know, I think they did a great job with it here. Uh, if I was a priest, really knocked me out. It really surprised me. Maybe if this one had come first, maybe I would have been equally surprised. <laughs> but I had already heard if I was a priest by the time we got the songs for Orphans. But like with everything else on the record, uh, you can't complain about it. No, you can't at all. And they are very similar in style. Yes. And which is, of course, to be expected. Uh, certainly, the lyrically they are, and musically they adopted that '72 Bruce Springsteen band kind of kind of feel. It but, definitely uh, again sounds like Dylan in the band. Yes, for it sure. does. But yes, he did it get the, It has a little. It, it's the '72 material with a, a an updated modern sound, but clearly influenced by those other artists. Again, I'm not going to complain about it. I, I think it is highly effective. Yes. And let me ask, going back to that Trenton performances from 2000, or the two Trenton performances from 2005, is this the first time that a song has been released as part of an archive, as part of the archive series prior to a studio release? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I, uh, I think it I, must, I mean, considering the, when the archive series started in 2014. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, he didn't play any unreleased songs, I don't think, in 20. 14 or 2016 when they released every night right well but it also that's that's only one part of it the second part of it is they have to release a, a studio version i guess right. 
follow, follow that dream would have been might be another one in that category because it was included on one of the Australia shows from 17 and it you know it's probably going to be on if there if there ever is a tracks 2 or USA box set it's going to it's most likely going to be on there I well let's hope so <laughs> and, and just to, to get to the end and and you know we always talk about the closing tracks on these Springsteen records we talked about Moonlight Motel last episode we talked about Devil's Arcade and I like my theme that these de- these closing tracks are often devastating Valentine's Day this is not one of those I mean it's a difficult subject matter I'd say because again it focuses on death and and mortality but it's presented in such a rousing and 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 <laughs> hopeful fashion and I and I think the message here is we go on even after we're gone and that that to me he even says for death is not the end the, and it and it the way the song plays out and and the way it builds it, musically it just there's something about it. it it really uplifted me yes that's that's the word i was thinking uplifting it's it's almost uh, almost hymn like talking about talking about death and the way that it's as you said it's not the end and that I have your worldly possessions, but what I'm really looking forward to is seeing you in my dreams. Yes. And, uh, you know, again, to state the obvious, it really goes back to the to the first track of the record where he was he was depressed. He was sad about one minute you're here, next minute you're gone. That that depression stage of, of grief. And then here he's he's accepted it. He knows life goes on and we'll just we'll see you in my dreams. And yeah. It's well, he's powerful here. It's 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 interesting because clearly the song is someone thinking about a friend lost. He says the day go the days go on. I re- remember you, my friend. And then there's also a reference to having a guitar that appears to have belonged to the deceased by his bed. But yet there's a sense to me that it's also the character is singing that he thinks that when his own death comes there will be continuing dreams. Am I am I wrong about that? Uh, I don't think you are. I mean, I mean, it's definitely one of the the various interpretations we can go with. I mean, especially since he says, "For death is not the end, and I'll see you in my dreams." That seems a tip off to that that uh, that that at the end life is going to continue. And maybe he's not being literal there because I think also part of what he's presenting on this record is that the music he leaves behind is going to outlive him, which, of course, we know that. And his letter to us, the statement that he's making here, will survive beyond his lifespan. And the character, which is clearly him on this record, he's going to see us in his dreams. And and in his final moments, besides Patty and his kids and his mom and his dad, what else is Bruce Springsteen going to think about? I'm sure it's going to be the days that he stood on that stage and brought the house down. And I look at it as as he referenced it in on the on Broadway at the end of the show where he he appreciated people coming out to see the show because he got to visit a little bit with with Clarence and Danny and his and his father um, certainly uh, last but not least there and I that's how I see it that's how I see this song is that this gives him a chance to. in, in the dream in his dreams to to visit with people who who are right no well and he has spoken. He's spoken very eloquently about being visited by these people, and I think he's even brought that up with George Thies as well. Uh, but it just it, it does strike me that 
from his own perspective, he, he's being visited by the dreams of those who have he's lost while he's still here. It there there does it, it does strike me that if you believe that life continues in some fashion after we're <laughs> gone, you know that you will see those images in your dreams, so to speak. Right. Well, I've certainly have have visited with uh, an uncle and my grandparents in my dreams who who have passed away and. It's a it's a it's a kind of a bitter bittersweet feeling when you wake up in the next morning and you're like yeah I gotta I gotta spend a few minutes with uh, with with my with my uncle Randy there or my the, grandparents. I, I just was really impressed with the way he brought the album to a close. I thought the instrumentation of this song was so perfect, and you know if you read the lyrics, if someone had just given you the lyrics and we hadn't heard the album yet you would have maybe thought that this was going to sound like one minute you're here or, uh, you know, some of the songs off devils and dust. Yes. And it, it, it just sounds nothing like that. And, and <laughs> no, and, it's, it's a rock song. Yeah. It actually comes across as a rock song about, about death and he, he makes it work. And of he, course he, the fact he's done that before, you know, Oh, I know, I know. But the fact that he brings it, his vocals clear and upfront at the end of the song drives home the, the intimacy of it. it. It's very, very powerful. And it brings the album to a powerful close. And, uh, you know, again, not to jump step on our episode <laughs> coming up two weeks from now. I, I mean, to me, this has got to be the closer. And this is like the new land of hope and dreams was on the reunion tour. This is the <laughs> lasting image. I think that he will leave us with every night when we can reconvene again, because yes. it is it is such a a hopeful and joyous send off, and, and and that'll be it'll be a hopeful and joyous send off for the night, and it's a hopeful and joyous send off for for life in general when it comes to an end, and that's clearly the point that he's making here. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to fit it into my mythical letter to use that list and have some ideas and i'm trying not to make it too depressing <laughs> yes so and that really uh i think brings a fairly lengthy discussion about this wonderful new record to an end again i'm sure bruce is not listening to our show but it <laughs> should he be i mean incredible job and just so happy to have now in these tough times and uh i'm sure there are a lot of people who feel that way yes finally something about 2020 that doesn't suck that is for sure. But perhaps <laughs> there'll be some other stuff that doesn't suck about 2020 coming up. I hope so, too. But uh, until then, let's wrap it up. Yes. And none but the bravest presentation of Bull Market Entertainment. Please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. We're on all the major ones. You can interact with us on Twitter. We're at NBTB Podcast. And our website is nonebutthebravepodcast.com. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flo McLean saying thanks again for listening. And I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs> oh, change. <laughs> Mixing up the set list. All right, good night, everyone. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. 
You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.